0: Listening to the Not Your Average Culture podcast, where we have candid conversations about personal growth, business, and creativity. Because let's be honest creative or not, life can get messy, especially if you are a creative entrepreneur. But you don't have to go at it alone. There's a whole community and culture around the lifestyle of creatives. So, here on this podcast, I'm making the space to have open conversations with a wide range of dynamic people about how to successfully maintain your business, keep your sanity, while owning your authenticity, and staying inspired along this journey. I'm your host, Chardonnay. Let's get to it. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Not Your Average Culture podcast. In case you are tuning into this season for the very first time, the theme for this season is called Creative Flow. If you haven't done so already, check out the first episode of this season. I share some background about the guests I'll be featuring and why I'm highlighting their stories and explain a bit about what I mean by creative flow and how I'm attempting to tap into it. But I'm excited to introduce to you all today's guest, Matthew Lenzner, because he knows all about how to make the most of each season we are in. I'll have him officially introduce himself in a bit. But before I do that, I want to share what our conversation is about and go over a few podcast housekeeping things. So this conversation is primarily about making a living from your craft, meeting people where they are at, and embracing the journey of starting where you are until you get the resources on a large scale. I think that this is so fitting for this podcast because as some of you know, I independently produce this podcast and I do this in my spare time and reach out to folks and ask them for their time, which is very valuable. So there's no fancy studio I invite guests to come into. Sometimes we're recording this over the phone, over a Zoom call. I simply ask guests to come as they are because I truly believe that their message and story is worth sharing. I don't mail out microphones or do any of that other fancy stuff yet but plan to do so when I have the funding and resources to do so. So this is a shameless plug before we dive into things. If you wanna support the podcast, your contribution goes towards improving the quality of the show. It goes towards sound engineers, microphones, etc. cetera. You will notice we have a few sound hiccups in this episode, but I encourage you to stay tuned through the very end because this is such a refreshing conversation. And I think if you're into agriculture or any of the other creative topics I typically talk about, then you will find some type of value in this conversation. So with all that being said, let's dive into this episode. I'm just going to jump into things. I I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you before, but obviously you know now like I have a podcast and thank you again for joining me today. But I never really gave you like the background of my podcast because this is something that I've been doing since like 2018, it's been something that's been a passion project. And it's something I've been doing off and on where essentially I invite folks on to join me and talk about what it is that they do, how they got into their career path, or just talk about some of their personal and professional projects that people were working on or involved in. And like the steps that they took to get to where they are and things of that nature. And now Hindsight, I was just reaching out to people whom I was reading their books or coming across their work from other podcasts, or articles that I've read online or people that I've just kind of crossed paths with. And I was like, wow, like this person is dope. I like what it is with, that they're doing. And I'm interested in inviting them on the show to talk in more detail about, you know, their work and what it is that they're doing. So it's been a while since I've done that and I'm getting back into it. So I figured since, you know, you are like a client of mine. You've grown to be like a passive mentor, a friend, an acquaintance, and you have been working and allowing me to document the work that you've been doing for the past almost two years. So if you don't mind, can you just share with my online community a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do? Right on. My, my name is Matthew Lindner. I
1: run my own business called 10 Before Three. is an agricultural-based business. And I'm trying to see if I can make a living growing and selling vegetables, herbs, anything that comes out of the earth. But really also have another job. I work for an organization called Growing Together. And what we do is we do school-based garden installations and education. So I run a program for that organization called Farms to Schools. And what our program does is take unutilized land in West Contra Costa County and we transform it into production farms. And so we did an analysis of all the open spaces out here in West Contra Costa Unified School District and found that there was actually a significant amount of land that was just kind of sitting on school property. And so we proposed to launch this project. And that was the first project that you kind of came and helped document, which was the transformation of an old baseball field into a production farm at a middle school, a Betty Thompson middle school. So, you know, so that's one aspect of the work. Honestly, you know, the work is totally intertwined with intergenerational learning and really trying to just get folks to reconnect to the things that are healthy and nourishing for them. So, being outside working in the land, eating healthy food, interacting with each other, and creating healthier communities. So there's, there's multiple different tenants of the program, but at the end of the day, the goal is to get more people involved with working in the land, growing food, and creating healthier communities.
0: Nice, nice, nice. So how did you get into agriculture and what does a typical day look like for you?
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> It's funny because growing up, I never really liked helping, you know, my mom, mom always wanted me to help out in the garden and, the and whatever about it. But what we always did was go camping and go hiking and, like, get out of the city and go up to the mountains. And for me, that was, like, that was my safe place where I just felt like I could really be myself. I found a lot of peace, you know, and really, like, connected in a deeper way. On those excursions out of the city, and so uh, it wasn't until actually I graduated high school, I went away up to, up to the northwest to go study, and I thought I wanted to study like environmental justice and you know like environmental like studies and you know just like how can we protect our net na- our natural places, but I kind of like got really disenfranchised with that work and just realizing that it was a lot of like policy or. It just didn't really resonate with me. But I'm there. I also got exposed to the concept of how interconnected food production is with ecological health and how that also is intertwined with our own personal health. So for me, it was like kind of a journey of like figuring out, you know, I was like, I was actually transitioning into becoming vegetarian and vegan. And so I was like exploring a lot about like, you know, like plant-based diet and growing food kind of got interesting. And so through my like exploration with environmental studies and kind of my, you know, dissatisfaction with that, I, I realized like, I had this aha moment where I don't know whether I was like reading or studying, but basically realized that like the majority of the land that people Interact with in the world is agricultural land. So, what we do to the 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 land, the farms, like the what we do to grow our food, how we take care of the land, could actually have like a bigger impact on, you know, overall ecology and environmental health than, you know, doing like Earth First or like you know Sierra Club stuff. Now, not to say that that works not important, but for me it was a real clear path then because I was also like diverging away from the corporate food system and, you know, genetic engineering was really big. Like there was a huge fight to like get Monsanto to label their, their GMO product. And it was just, there was a lot of that going on at the time too. And so it all just kind of like came to a head, I actually changed schools and studies partway through my, my undergrad. And I went up to Evergreen State College in Washington, Olympia, Washington, and they have the second largest campus in the country, but the majority of it is actually for it. But they also have a, a school-based production farm, and so they have a whole ecological agricultural program. And the cool thing about that school, which I really enjoyed, was that you take one 16-unit course. And so rather than having, you know, four credits here, four credits here, and having all these different classes, you're able to really immerse into the studies. And so I spent two years studying soil science, cropping system, and, you know, being on the farm there. And then I always wanted to return back to the Bay and do urban ag work. And so I came back and... You know, I tried to land somewhere and figure out what was I going to do. And so I started working actually in food service, you know, like cooking, washing dishes, serving food. And through that, I found this really cool little tea house in East Oakland called Deep Deep Urban Tea House. And it was just like it was an independent business. This lady had a really dope vision. What she was trying to do. But what was cool about that tea house was it was really connected to community org especially in the neighborhood, in Fruitvale. And so I met some folks from an organization called Oakland Leaf. It was just really starting to like do some work. They were doing after-school programming and they had this plan to launch a program called Love Cultivated Schoolyards. And they didn't really know what it was going to be, but they knew that it was like a school-based garden program. And so there was this new school that had just been built and some of the folks that have been open me had helped design the city and they had designed like a pretty large garden. And so they asked me if I wanted to come in and, and, you know, like run that program and develop it. And I ended up actually working in that organization for 15 years. So that was a pretty dope program. And in my opinion, we ended up working at seven different schools in East Oakland running elementary, middle school, and paid high school internships. We were running programming for you know, over 100 students in a week. We had a really in-depth high school internship program where we were training them to be urban farmers, but we were also training them to be mentors and teachers and role models for the elementary, middle school students, and then those high school students and Ran garden programming for their, those younger students. So it was like pretty cool, pretty robust program, but it was still pretty limited. And that we were like growing in, you know, four by eight raised planter boxes. We had some small gardens, and it, you know, it's just the amount of food we were producing was was pretty small. Cause it's sub. You don't have a lot of space. Yeah, we did actually expand to uh Castlemore High School, which has. A one acre production farm, quarter acre production garden. And so it was that expansion that I really like kind of stepped up my experience in, in actual like farming, agriculture. And, and I, I knew see. that I was like, this is this is what it was.
0: And that's something I kind of wanted to deep dive into and just get you to talk more about because. The biggest thing that I, what I have been enjoying with collaborating with you on this project and working with you on this project is because this is almost like a step up from home economics. And I know like a lot of schools don't really offer home economics where they teach you like how to cook inside of like high school or elementary school. And there's a lot of folks who like grown grown who still don't really understand the importance of like how to cook a a nutritional meal and things of that nature. So I kind of want you to expand and elaborate on like the program that you have built for these students and how it's kind of like what it's doing for the students and how it kind of connects to like that home economics piece and how you're kind of bringing it back into the school system, but in a way where it's also inviting students to learn how to grow their own food
1: yeah you know it's like it's it's kind of crazy because in all my time like doing this work with you know urban students young people like the majority i would say there's like five to ten percent of the people who just like will refuse to do it right the majority of the people you know you get like 10 to 15 percent of the people who are just like about it right away maybe they did it we have a lot of students you know who came to this country Because they have, like, in their family experience, they have history of growing food. Maybe they themselves worked on farms when they were little. But then we also have a lot of students growing up here. Maybe their granny did it in their their backyard, or maybe they go to relatives. So there is still this connection, even though I would say, like, it's really important that we maintain it because it's getting lost you know with every generation right we lose so much knowledge but um most students they'll come out there and they'll be like i don't want to get dirty like my shoes my clothes whatever
0: so how do you switch their mindset around that like how do you because you have a lot of students involved in the program like it's not just one school you're at like three schools now and so i'm like wondering like how do you one how do you Convince, not even convinced, but how do you introduce this program to new schools to get them to, you know, allow you to change the space that isn't really being used for anything? And then also the students that are there, like how do you motivate them and get them excited to actually learn about it? Because there aren't a lot of students who are even aware that there are career paths in agriculture.
1: Yeah, well, like, right. I mean, that's part of the work, right? So that's actually like what we're really trying to do right here right now is Is create this clear connection to agriculture and entrepreneurial opportunities, right? Career. Like, you know, growing up in the Bay, growing up in a city, we don't know farmers. I don't know. I never knew anybody who was farming and made a life living farming. Um, Well, I would just say, like, to go back to that piece about, like, when folks come out, it's like, you know, like, anything new it's going to take people a little bit of time to adapt. So my role is to just, like, be patient and help facilitate that, that transition from discomfort into comfort, you know? And so we play a lot of games. We just have fun. Like, you know, you got to have fun. you got to make it cool. you got to make it light and fun. Or if it's just work, 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 people going to get turned off quick, right? So, you know, I feel like it's interesting, like, talking to you about the journey, Because I think if you had asked me five years ago, ten years ago, I think I I would want to be where I am now then. But I could not be where I am now without having put in all those years doing it the way I did, right? So it's like, it's just a means to an end. I feel like I was an educator first and a farmer second. And now coming out here to this new project, which we've been doing for like two years. Now we're going into the second year. So we're, we're coming out of the second, going into the third year. I'm a farmer and an educator. So I kind of have like that skill set. Like I know how to hold groups. I know how to engage students. Kind of know how to, you know, judge when people are ready to do more or when they still need time. Like You know, those are those are nuances that are really important for young people. But I think, honestly, like, the land, the wonders of the earth, they just call Like, we can get kids entertained by just turning over logs and looking at what's underneath. You know, and just looking at the bugs, the picking flowers, like, simple things like that for, for those students who maybe just need more time, you know, not quite ready to get into it. So, it's like, I try to, like, meet them where they're at because what I don't want to do is alienate anybody. You just want everybody to feel like this is something they can access and they can access it to the degree that they, they want to. And whenever they're ready, they can go for more.
0: Yeah. That's so real. And it's so interesting that you say that the part about the journey about like, you know, you are like, you're content and happy at the space that you're at now. And five years ago, you didn't know that you would be in this place. And like, personally, I can relate to that and I can. Connect to that because I've also had to do a lot of shifting in my own personal journey as well, of just being like a creative. And even like you said, even earlier on, like you know, you have two jobs that's kind of like the norm out here in the Bay. Like people hold down multiple different jobs because that's the time and the space that we're in. And I also remember like we briefly had this conversation about, you know, like when you ask for an abundance of work or opportunities, but also being prepared to take on the task when the opportunities arise. And that's something, you know, in my journey, I've had to learn how to shift and figure out like, okay, what things do I need to put into place so that way I can manage and maintain, you know, all the different opportunities and the things that are coming my way. And I'm curious for you in your field, what are some things that you've had to had a had to have a personal mind shift around or systems you've had to put in place in order to expand on the things that you're doing and you know make this program accessible to you know other schools in other areas
1: yeah that's like that's a cool question I like that the way you frame that because I think a lot of times we feel like things happen to us and we're we don't have any power over what happens to us you know and so then we're like I can't help it that the situation is like this, right? But at the end of the day, like the power we have is like how we deal with it. So I would just say, like I'm, I feel pretty blessed in this area in West Contra Costa County. I feel like the timing was just right for me to come and start this project. We work with the school district. You know, they provide us the land, resources like water, uh, at no charge. And so what we do in turn is we provide a service, you know, obviously we, we develop the land and we're developing this program, which is a huge win for them, but we do the education piece as well. But, you know, being in a community, being at a school, you oftentimes will get different players who have different ideas or different things. And sometimes it's not necessarily like what the goal of the program is or the goal of the project is. But I feel like as a as a leader, it's really important to be open to different ideas and to give things a try. You know, like to not just be closed off and say, no, we're not doing that. We're only doing it this way because that's what we decided. Mm-hmm. I have I've found that rather like just being open to, you know, allowing people to come into the space, kind of give ideas, engage with the space in ways in which maybe I, I wouldn't necessarily have thought of. You know, obviously, like giving people things is is huge, like growing on a farm, you know, people come, I want them to leave feeling really excited. So we always try to give people a little bit of food or some flowers to walk away with. You know, little things like that go a long way. And so, yeah, you know, like honestly, the challenge in this work, too, is like balancing it all because the end of the day like we need to grow the food we need to be able to process the food harvest and and distribute the food or else it's not successful and the program's not doing what it needed it needs to do and that takes a lot of time and energy but we also need to serve the community and engage them and work with our young people and teach our young people so you know finding that balance is definitely uh, a challenge it's a constant dance and with the changing of the seasons and, you know, the edge and flow of the work, you know, we get like hit with a lot of work in a really small amount of time. And then we get hit with periods of time where it's kind of just like cruise control. So, you know, just like no day is the same. Every day is different. Every week is different. And so being flexed and being able to adapt in that way is really important too.
0: Yeah, that's so real because even I had to, I've kind of thought about that in a way and just like the nature of how people work. There are seasons for when, you know, it's like you got to go really hard and like, you know, putting in the work to do something. Then there are moments where you have time to rest. And so just, you know, preparing for each of those seasons accordingly. So I'm happy that you mentioned that because I feel like a lot of times people are like, oh, it's just, you know, one career path. You you're always on go mode you know, and there are different ebbs and flows of it and there's seasons for everything. So that's one thing I try to keep in mind as well is just like knowing like when is the season for like going super hard and then the seasons for like when is it time to kind of like be on relax, recharge and, you know, figuring out what to do for the upcoming year or the, you know, the days ahead.
1: Yeah. It's like, I feel you. I like we're like so lucky being farmers and that we're we're so close to the season and and the changes, you know, but like it's like that time for incubation, that internal hibernation time, it's so important, and our society doesn't value it. You know, we don't value sleep and rest. You know, I used to actually like before before I came out here to be a farmer, I was a soccer coach. And I was a high school soccer coach for a number of years. And I would always tell my player, you know, young, young boys, got a lot of energy and they want to just, you know, hit it hard all the time. But the equal part of your workout is your recovery. Like you need to give that other aspect, the recognition and the attention it deserves or you can get hurt. And it's the same thing with like us. Like I feel like that's why there's so much illness in our society is because we don't value that rest and recovery time. We don't even get it. You know, like women don't even get it when they have a baby, right? Like Mm-hmm-hmm. you expected to be back in the office like two months later. So yeah. I do, I agree with you. You know, we got to get that. We got to really put that forward. And I feel like that's our role as leaders and mentors. It's like, we need to model this for everyone, for our young
0: people. Yeah. You
1: know? Hey, I'm going to set this boundary. Like, no, we're going to, you know, we're going to scale it back right now. Or, hey, dude, I know you're tired, but we got to hit it hard. It's like we got to get all this done by next week or else we're going to get behind.
0: Right. That's so real. So what other advice or resources can you share with myself and also the audience that can be useful for, you know, anyone interested in revitalizing underutilized land or maybe bringing this project to a local school or community near them?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, like, trying to think about myself, like, 20 years ago, you know, 15 years ago, like, young and idealistic, and I would go and take calendula, it's, like, this this beautiful flower, really good for us, it sells seeds really easily, not native, but it's a good one, and there was this house near me that would always have the flowers, and there were seeds everywhere, and so I would always just take them and find little areas, you know, on my walk to the bark, where there was nothing growing and I would throw the seeds there, you know, and then I would come back months later and be like, oh, look, the plants are growing, right? Uh-huh. So it's like finding those opportunities to practice, you know, and I think the challenge that most of us have is a limited resource. Right? Like land access is a huge one. We're not all in the position that, that I'm in where you just get, you know, big pieces of land and, and, and the school is like, yeah, come and do it. But I think that, you know, we can you can take those baby steps to get there, right? So, like, starting a small garden in your backyard, in your front lawn, in your neighbor's lawn, in the curb space, like, having pots. I think just practicing, practicing, learning, and having fun. Like, for me, I'm always like, what's the the thing that's going to get me excited to learn about this year? You know, and that's kind of like, I feel like we got to all hop on that wave of, you know, continually pushing ourselves to learn, learn new things. Don't stop. Like somebody who's been a professional at something for 30, 40 years still has something to learn. And so like remembering that and then finding the joy in it, you know, like what gets you excited? What gets you happy? What makes you really like used to go and do it? And then, then try to make it happen, you know. And that's like obviously easier said than done. We got a lot of limitations and and obstacles. But there, you know, there's a all, obviously a lot of folks already doing the work. So find an organization that's doing something similar to what you want to do, and just reach out to them about volunteering. You know, go to open open farm days. Support, just support people. Like buy from local farmers. It may cost a little bit more, but you know, that money goes a lot further. Like we can't compare what we're doing to what they're doing in the San Joaquin Valley where they have, you know, 400 acre farm and it's all mechanized and computerized. Mm-hmm. But what we can do is say like, we're creating a rich ecosystem for, you know, the goal is for, for generations, right? So there's a, there's a difference, you know, and I think like, it's hard man people don't want to spend money for food they don't want to spend it and you to get food for cheap and it's hard making a living selling vegetables
0: <laughs> it is <laughs> it's, it's it's hard making a living selling art vegetables almost anything these days like trying to convince people like you need this the importance of this like this is why this matters like it's Yeah, it's hard. And so that's why I kind of do what I do, which is like I try to share and document the process of things because people see the end result and they think like, you know, oh, well, this should be easy. Like you do this. So and it's available or they think that everything is just so accessible because maybe we have grocery stores almost in some areas. It's everywhere. So we think like, oh, like it's never going to run out. And so. It's just kind of like this expectation of like, you know, it's already there and they don't really understand the work that goes into it is basically what I'm trying to say. And so you have yeah, to explain the value the, that
1: word.
0: the value, the value and everything that's being put into it and why it is important. So just as, as much as we are like producing these things, we also have also have to show like the work that goes into it and why it is that valuable. Because I think sometimes people well,
1: that's why I really appreciate our collaboration because it's like you are telling the story you know like and that's like what you're saying like if we don't tell our own story then it's either not going to get told or somebody else is going to tell it for us and it's not going to be accurate right so exactly I really appreciate you and, and your work you're doing as well
0: oh thank you <laughs> thank you well, I'm, I don't want to take up all of your time. I know you're still out in the field working and things of that nature. So I'm just going to wrap up this podcast on a fun and light note with a few random pop questions to leave our listeners with a fun takeaway and just a little food for thought for the day. And so, yeah, the first question I have for you is like a it's a philosophical question. Do you think nature is moving toward dissolution or integration?
1: Ooh, like the, the dissolution of, of our society or like?
0: The dissolution of people valuing just like nature in gen- general. Or mm. do you feel like people are finding ways to bring nature into more aspects of maybe even like architecture, like how people um, build new homes or determining like where things are being built because they're being mindful of nature or... Vice versa, do you feel like people are kind of losing sight of the importance of nature?
1: Yeah, that's a a deep one. I think that overall, the critical mass is moving towards a reconnection. Like I think everybody recognizes that we need to be connected to the earth, that we are all interconnected beings. And so, you know, like whatever I do to the earth, I do to myself. I feel like that definitely we're all moving towards there. However... I do feel like there's this continued push. It's like capitalism's last gasp of, you know, trying to maintain power and the people who are basically the capitalists and the, the ones in, in power who are pushing our economy to be in a destructive one. Right. So like all the oil barons, all the ones who are holding on to that power and that well are, are working harder, even more extreme to keep us on that path. So it's like this separation that's happening. And I feel like it's happening on many different levels in our country, right? Politically, socially as well.
0: Yeah. What What's one thing you feel like you could never outgrow? Keeping things in the theme of agriculture, yeah. what's one thing yeah. you think you can never outgrow?
1: Oh, I could never outgrow a nice little cuddle session with my children.
0: Oh,
1: even if, even when they're old, I still gonna want to cuddle with them.
0: <laughs> that is so sweet. Favorite season, summer or winter?
1: Yes. Oh, man. I thought for the longest I was a summer. I'm a summer baby, so I love the summer, but I'm recognizing the importance of winter as well.
0: <laughs> you didn't sound too excited about that. My birthday's in the summer. So I'm always it's going to be summertime all the time for me. That's why I'm hey. in from Chicago. I'm like, I got to have some. Some sun.
1: You don't want to deal with that cold wind. I whatever, don't. Huh?
0: I don't. I'm not a fan of it. But yeah, that's all the questions I have for you today. Do you have any final thoughts or anything you want to share or how people can get in contact with you and just stay connected to the projects and things that you're working on?
1: Yeah, for sure. So we're, you know, the next thing of our project is we're actually trying to develop micro enterprise from the farm. So we're using... The produce that we're growing, a lot of it's going back into the school district, feeding students, feeding families. And then the aspect that we're working on for this season is to develop a business plan and to get more local businesses to carry our produce. Uh, We're also doing cut flowers. So we're trying to, like, really develop that local economy, you know, a farm-based economy. And and so definitely if there's folks in the Bay who are listening and interested and the work we're doing, check this out, Growing Together, East Bay. Uh, GrowingTogetherProjects.org is the website. You can also follow me on Instagram at Kendy T-E-N-D-Y, the number 43. That's my own business where I sell flowers from the backyard, microgreens from the house, and so really just trying to big up this local economy. Been working with a lot of independent businesses and chefs in Oakland, who have been just really dope and supportive of the work. And so, you know, we just we got to support each other in it. So I want to, you know, highlight the the restaurants that are working with us right now, like Bombera, Palmet, Joe's Modern Thai, Chef Sarah's Germany. And hopefully we'll add to that list next time we talk. Uh, we'll have a much longer list. Rocky's Market, check them out. You guys support local businesses, please. It's really important. And come visit the Farm
0: so there you have it folks you see what I mean this was a pleasant conversation <laughs> well at least for me it was okay I'd love to know your thoughts comments and feedback so wherever you are listening to this episode please consider rating the podcast it really helps me out as an independent podcaster with the algorithm and all the things you can also leave a review or again make a contribution to the show your support will greatly be appreciated. And your contributions go toward enhancing the audio experience of this podcast. The funds will go toward microphones that can be shipped to record an episode, potentially renting a dedicated studio space to record any future episodes and getting a sound engineer and all the other logistics and things that go into this process. The reason why I enjoy having these conversations is because It gives people a peek behind the curtain of what goes into the process. It shares a bit of transparency about what actually went into the work behind it because it's not always pretty, it's not always easy, and it's not always something that you can just capture on camera. And I think that his story was so relatable, especially for someone like me who works with audio and video or is just a creative and entrepreneur I think oftentimes people are only seeing the edited highlight version and the end product. But what also came up in this conversation was the journey, the process and the story behind it. And I think no matter what field you are in, you have to be able to not only do the work, but also show the work and be able to tell others about it, especially if you want to build community or support around it. So I personally like these conversations because it puts language to the things that you may not be able to visually show all the time. And I have so many moments, both personal, creatively, professionally, professionally, (laughs) I have so many moments where there are parts of my personal and creative process that I am sure people would be like, what? Are you serious? Did that really happen? And there was no camera around to capture it. But at least I can tell the story of what happened and the things like stories and visuals, it creates connections, it sparks ideas, or it can just be pure entertainment. That was another big takeaway from this episode is when doing the work, you have to remember to rest, recover, recharge, and also have fun. It's not all work. There's also a little bit of play that comes into this process as well. So between this podcast and videos I create, it's kind of like a show and tell. Outside of the professional videos I make, whether that's for clients or my day job, I occasionally like to show what I personally do for fun, how I like to take creative breaks, and other behind the scenes of my process over on my personal YouTube channel. So if you're interested in that, you're more than welcome to check it out. Anything we mentioned in this episode, the links are all included in the show notes of this episode. And also how you can get in touch with Matthew or any of the folks he mentioned. Again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you all so much for your support and for listening to this podcast and just getting through my thoughts and all those things. So Peace, love, and everything in between. i out.